This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. All right, if you would, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before You in the name of Jesus, again asking for Your help, asking that, uh, Lord, You grant understanding. Lord, I ask that You enable me to deliver the message here that You would have delivered. I ask that You grant accuracy and clarity. Lord, that I may uh, speak Your truth faithfully for the edification of Your people, for the salvation of sinners, and ultimately for Your glory. For all of this, Father, we're dependent upon You. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 17. We uh, completed the, uh, the Beatitudes, which you, you, you might really think of as sort of an uh, introduction to um, the Sermon on the Mount. So we're, we're, we're getting into, uh, not that we haven't already <laughs> been into the meat of what Jesus is saying here, but, but now we're getting into... Uh, Deeper into the body of his of his sermon, uh, we completed the beatitudes this morning. We talked about the metaphors of salt and light, and uh, and uh, going to continue tonight, uh, picking up in verse 17. I'm going to read verse uh, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, nor a dot, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. May the Lord bless reading of His Word. Um, got tremendous news, okay? Jesus came to do what you cannot do. He came to do what I cannot do. He came to do what we cannot, and I mean cannot, do. Righteousness is required of us 
in order to be in right standing with God. And we're going to talk, sometimes we have to make distinctions. We're going to talk a lot about, as we already have, we're going to talk about a lot about uh, practical righteousness. In other words, just living out Christianity. But the righteousness I'm referring to right at the moment, I'm, I'm, I mean the real absence of sin, okay? Absolute righteousness. That's required of us in order for us to have relationship, right relationship with God. Well, none of us are capable of doing that. None of us are capable of fulfilling, in other words, fulfilling God's commandments. God requires perfect, absolute, uncompromised righteousness because He is absolutely righteous. As a matter of fact, He defines it. You could say um, correctly, He not only is righteous, He is righteousness. So when we, when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about what God is, what He is like, His character. So again, in other words, what is required of us is that we be, our, our character, be in harmony with His character. That requires sinless perfection. And we're not capable of that. But, again, good news. Because Jesus came for that very reason. Because we're not capable. He came to do what we cannot do. Now, keep in mind the background of what what we've already talked about. The the Beatitudes. And, again, just a reminder... uh, These are characteristics or attributes or qualities of the Christian. Jesus is saying, this is what a Christian looks like. This is what an heir of the kingdom looks like. Poor in spirit, mourns, meek, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, and so on. This is what a Christian is. And because of that, because a Christian possesses these attributes, these qualities... Um, according to uh, the work of the Spirit of God in them. Again, we, we've pointed out several times, these are not things we can uh, muster up ourselves. They're, they're, not, they're not characteristics that come natural to us. They are the product of the new birth. It is the product of the Holy Spirit working in us that produces these things. But because of these things, because they are present in the life of the Christian, we are salt of the earth. And we are the light of the, of the world because of what God has done in us and what God is doing in us and through us. Those metaphors apply. Salt and light. Now, Jesus says, and I, this is interesting that this is in the middle of the, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount because oftentimes this is uh, spoken of as being a new law. You know, Jesus is abolishing the old, and He's giving us a new, the kingdom law, you could say. Um, but Jesus clearly says here that that's, that's not the case. That's not how it works. Verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, the, the law, the phrase the law right there is a reference to the Torah. Uh, do not think that I have come 
to abolish the law and the prophets. He's referring to Old Testament Scripture, the commands of God. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the word abolish, the, the, the idea behind the Greek word there is to destroy. Don't think, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. No doubt he's being accused of this kind of thing by, the, uh, uh, by his opponents, the Pharisees and the Jewish rulers. But he says, that's not what I've come for. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Fill them up. For truly, he says, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So even the most minor details of the law, Jesus says, will not be abolished, will not pass away until all is accomplished. Come to pass is the the idea behind the word there. Uh, Some versions say fulfilled. None of the law or the prophets, not even the smallest detail, and and to make that point he uses uh, uh, the iota, which is a a, a tiny, uh, you know, uh, character, and, and the dot, which is something like, a, like we would have a, a, an apostrophe or something, just a teeny mark. Not even the smallest details are going to pass away or pass from the law until all is accomplished, until all comes to pass. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and keeps and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's, he's not relaxing the requirements. In fact, I, I would suggest this, and I, and I think we'll see it more as we go. If, if we haven't seen it already, we, 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 we have in the Beatitudes, but we'll see it brought out more as we go along. He's, he's raising the bar, so to speak. Not that the bar wasn't already set high, but uh, he, he's expounding now and saying um, some things that they, they didn't get before. I mean, it's already there. It's already part of the Law and the Prophets, but now he's, he's going to show them uh, the fullness of it. So, for example, some, sometimes they would limit, just as we are still guilty of at times, they would limit... Uh, Certain types of sin to the very, to the act itself. And Jesus will take it beyond that and basically say in some cases, if you even think about it, if you desire it, then, uh, you've, you've sinned. Okay, so, so he, in, in a sense, raises the bar or at least expounds the law to the point that he gives a fuller understanding of it. Now, now, so again, the idea he's, he's not relaxing the requirements for righteousness. He's, he's not saying, well, you know what? The law, the law was hard and nobody could keep it. Nobody could do it. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you another way that's easier. We'll, we'll, re, we'll relax the requirements. After all, we're all 
flesh, right? We're all human beings. And God doesn't expect uh, much from us. But He doesn't do that. And He's making that clear. Not relaxing the requirements. God is, God is totally righteous. God requires righteousness because He can't tolerate anything else. But let me back up just for a moment because this, this statement I've, I've just always fascinated me. Um, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish or destroy them, but to fulfill them. And just like the word sounds, the idea of fill it up, make it full. For truly... I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, that raises some questions, doesn't it? I mean, especially for us on this side of the cross, and we think in terms of Old Testament, New Testament, law, grace, right? Well, we, we tend to think in terms of Old Testament equals law, and that's abolished. I mean, right or wrong, that's, that's the way we tend to think. And over here, New Testament, grace, and, and probably along with that we're tempted to think, as I said a moment ago, grace equals requirements are relaxed. <laughs> the law was too hard, and it's almost as if God uh, just says, well, you know what, I'll just, I'll just overlook that. I'll, you know, we just kind of pretend like those things didn't happen and just, we'll just have grace, right? Well, I mean, that's not right, but that's the way we think if we're not careful. And so Jesus is making it clear that's, that's not the case. I didn't come to destroy the law. You know why? Because there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The law perfectly reflects God's character. There's no fault in the law. The fault is in us. The, the fact that the law is harsh, we, I mean, we may think of it as being harsh, but the reason it is is because of our weakness. It's not because there's some fault with it. It's just because we can't meet the requirements. We, we don't have the moral ability to keep the law or the commands of the law. So we're in a helpless state in and of ourselves. We're in a helpless state in that sense. The law requires perfect obedience. We can't perform perfect obedience. And so, there's got to be another way. I mean, we're tempted to think, you know, the law is too hard and surely there's, there's a way around it. You know, some kind of grading on a curve or something like that where we can just do the best we can and be accepted. So again, Jesus is saying, no, that's not the case. I didn't come to destroy the law. And I say unto you, and this is the part I was talking about, it's always kind of fascinated me, and I'm, I'm going to uh, 
give you what I think he's saying here. For, I, for truly, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, why am I fascinated with that statement? Well, because when you get over, for example, uh, into the uh, uh, New Testament epistles, when you, when you get into the, the book of Acts and then into the, to the epistles, um, we, and Hebrews, you know, we, we are confronted with a change. And you find, for example, in fact, let's just turn to one of them. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And hold your place here. Colossians chapter 2. And let's look. Uh, Lost my page. Here we go. Colossians two verse um, sixteen is what I want to look at. Um, Let's let's start in verse thirteen. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, that is with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, that, that's a good description, by the way, of the predicament we were in. Um, we had this unpayable debt standing against us with its legal demands. And Paul says here that in Christ it's canceled. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, in Christ. Therefore, therefore, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, the, the church at Colossae here, they're having a problem with uh, legalism. And uh, you notice the, uh, the uh, uh, references Paul makes here, for example, are, are to uh, Old Testament uh, uh, ritualism, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. And Paul says clearly to the church, you're not to let... Anyone judge you in regard to these things? Why? Because they, they're just, they're shadows. They're shadows of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So it's just like you see a shadow on the floor right there, but that's not the pew. That's the shadow of the pew. That's just a shadow. The substance is, is the pew that's blocking the light, that's causing that Shadow. So Paul says those Old Testament rituals are just shadows of things to come. So when I when I see a shadow, just like I see those shadows on the floor, I realize there is a some substance that's causing that shadow, right? 
In other words, it's evidence that there is, that the substance exists. So Paul says these, these Old Testament rituals are, are shadows of things to come, but the substance is Christ. And his whole point is, now we have Christ. So, we don't need the shadows. So he says, don't, don't let anyone judge you in regard to these things. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They're done away, right? Because they're shadows and now the substance is here. We, we talked a great deal about that when we went through uh, the book of Hebrews. Why don't we do animal sacrifices today because it's a shadow a type but the substance is Christ Christ came to provide the ultimate sacrifice that all of those lambs slaughtered throughout the Old Testament era pointed to they were all shadows and types of Christ and there's no longer need to sacrifice an animal because Christ has come the sacrifice uh, is made, and there's no more need for the shadows. Now, let's go back to Jesus' statement. I do, not let any, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. <clears throat> for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth, and this is strong language, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Well, did, did the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2 miss the mark? Did he forget what Jesus said here about the law, not even the smallest detail of it passing away until all is fulfilled? What about the writer of Hebrews? His whole argument is based on the reality of Christ fulfilling the righteous requirements of God as reflected in the law. So let me suggest this. In light of the rest of the New Testament, including... Other statements by Jesus. Uh, for example, he himself, Jesus himself says that the Sabbath, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, right? And, and he calls uh, himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And he himself did things on the Sabbath day that others thought inappropriate. <clears throat> Um, another example uh, in regard to the dietary law, uh, Jesus pronounces all things clean. Matthew 15, I think the uh, parallel passage is Mark 7. Uh, his disciples are condemned for eating with unwashed hands, and, and, and Jesus goes through uh, teaching there to explain that defilement does not come by what you take in through the mouth, but a man is defiled by what comes out of the mouth. And Mark uh, puts a little uh, 
comment in there himself and says uh, that he says this, you know, making all things clean. So there's evidence there of a change in the dietary law. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I've not come to abolish the law, I've not come to destroy it, don't think that I've come to destroy it, because not even one little iota, not even one little dot, not the finest detail will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I think the answer is in that last phrase. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, that's an emphatic way of saying, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, the heavens and the earth continue. The law will continue until heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. Not going to happen. Not the smallest detail. Until. Until. <laughs> now, that, there's, there's a qualifier. Here's a qualifying phrase. It's not going to pass away until. In other words, he's not saying that it'll, it'll never, ever be done away with. He's saying, up, up to a point, something has to happen, and up until that point, all of the law is in full effect. What is that point? Well, he says, it's when everything is fulfilled. Everything, meaning all of the law and the prophets. Everything that God required and that is written, that is prophesied, that is foretold in the, all of the law and all of the prophets. And Luke, when he's talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he, even, he includes the Psalms there. He explains to them the things concerning himself in Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. In other words, all of the Old Testament. And I think that's really what he's saying here as well, even though he just says the, the, uh, the law and the prophets. The prophets can include all of the rest of the Old Testament writings because uh, they were authored by prophets. So Jesus says everything, essentially, if I can just sum it up this way, everything in the Old Testament is in effect. None of it is done away. None of it is abolished until... Until all of it, that is all of the Old Testament, everything that is to be required, that is required, until every bit of it, every last detail of it, comes to pass. Some translations use the word, uh, for example, if you look in verse 17, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I mentioned earlier that's the idea of like fill up, nothing lacking, like you would fill up a glass that's full, you fill it to the rim. I pick on Leslie all the time because she believes in that. You know, if if she brings me a cup of coffee or whatever it is, glass of water, glass of tea, um, it's it's to the rim, you know. I spill it when I grab it, you know. (laughs) 
<laughs> she believes in it being full. Fill up. That's what that word is. In verse 17. Verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Now, some translations use the word fulfill there, but it's not the same word. Now, this is a different word, and it's the idea of coming to pass. So, this translation uses the word accomplished. So, he says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, fill them up, and not any of it's going to pass away until it all comes to pass. Until the, the in which you know, fulfilling is a good translation, by the way, because that is what he's talking. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting it's not. I'm just, I'm just pointing out there is a difference in words in the Greek here, but the idea would still be the same, wouldn't it? Uh, it has to be fulfilled. It has to be accomplished. It has to come to pass. Everything required in the Old Testament has to come to pass. Jesus is saying, and none of it's going to pass away until all of it comes to pass. Now, how is that going to happen? Well, again, he told us in verse 17, I came to fulfill them, fulfill the law and the prophets. John 5, I love this statement in John 5. He's uh, uh, <clears throat> talking to the Jews here in verse 39. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, he's referencing the same Scriptures, the Old Testament uh, law and the prophets and the Psalms. And he's telling the Jews, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. There's, there's the key to eternal life. Read the book, which is true, right? They're right to think that. In, in the Scriptures, you have eternal life. But listen to what he says. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The Scriptures, Jesus says, that you value because, and I'm paraphrasing here, but He's saying you value them because you think they, are, they testify concerning eternal life. He says, but they testify about me. That's what He's saying. That's what the word bear witness there means, testify. So you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness or testify about me. And then you jump down to verse 46. He's still talking to them. He says, For if you believed Moses, again a reference to the law, the Torah, first five books authored by Moses. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. That's awesome. <laughs> He's telling the Jews. The people that, that claim to be the disciples of Moses. We believe the Scripture. We believe what Moses wrote. We believe the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And Jesus says, if you believe them, you believe me. Because they testify about me. Isn't that interesting? Now, and he's not just pointing to particular verses. He's not just picking out 
uh, certain spots. Unto you is born this day, city of David, a child. You know, or Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He's not just picking out particular spots and saying, you know what, that passage there refers to me. That passage there refers to me. He's saying, the whole of Scripture is a testimony concerning me, and I have come to fulfill it. It, it, he's, what he's saying, it's all about me. And they weren't getting that. And so on one hand, they're saying, we accept Moses. We follow Moses. We believe Moses. And Jesus is saying, oh no. Because Moses bore witness concerning me. And if you don't believe me, then you obviously don't believe Moses, what he goes on to say again, verse 46, for you, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Because they're in perfect harmony. Moses was just foretelling, as, as all the Old Testament writers were doing, things concerning Christ. In one form or fashion. The Bible tells one story. It's one meta-narrative about God's redemptive plan. Salvation for man through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Bible is talking about. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, God kills an animal, provides clothing for Adam and Eve. There's a picture of Christ. An animal slain, blood shed to cover sin. And right there at the very beginning. And He tells Eve, there's going to be enmity between your seed and the seed of the serpent. But you know what? The serpent's going to bruise his heel, but he, he, your seed's going to crush his head. Testimony concerning Jesus. Right there in Genesis 3. It's further back than that. The tree of life in the garden. <laughs> Christ. The garden of Eden in one sense you could say. It's a type of Christ. The voice of God in the garden. It's Christ. The Word of God. The Logos of God. It's Jesus. God sends Abraham to a mountain and says, Look, Abraham, take your only beloved, your only begotten, beloved Son, offer him as a sacrifice. Isaac. It's a picture of Christ. God's redemptive plan is, is all wrapped up in that act. Abraham gets up there with Isaac, raises his hand to slay Isaac, and an angel stops him. And there's a ram in the bush, right? And you remember the prophecy before they went up. Isaac asked the question, Father, you know, here's the wood, here's the fire. Where's the lamb? Abraham says, Son, God will provide Himself a lamb. 
picture of Christ. A testimony of Christ. Jacob (coughs) wrestles with an angel at Bethel. Christ. Captain of the Lord of the Host meets Joshua. Christ. I mean, just go down the list. Fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Christ. He's all the way through the Old Testament. The whole thing points to Him. Let's just come out to a broader picture, generalize, not, not necessarily little specific events. Think about the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Foreshadows Christ. The whole Levitical priesthood that God established in the Old Testament foreshadows Christ. The tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem, both types of Christ. The altar in the temple, a type of Christ. The high priest, a type of Christ (laughs) interceding for His people. The Lamb on the altar, a type of Christ. Jesus says, you search the Scripture, you think in them you have eternal life. They, the Scripture, testify of Me. They bear witness of Me. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to... Fulfill them. And none of it, not the smallest detail that had to be done was was going to be overlooked. Not one little iota or dot would pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So why then when we go to Colossians, when we go to Hebrews, when we go to Galatians, when we go to Acts, why, why do we run into places where it seems that certain things are done away and there's a new age, new covenant? And the answer, I think, is this, because all has been accomplished. And He didn't leave one detail undone. Everything that was required for the salvation of God's people has been achieved in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not one iota, not one dot passed away from the law. Every single bit of it that Christ came to fulfill, He has accomplished. And I think this is the very thing, the very thing that He had in mind when He hung on the cross and said, It is finished. It's done. 
It's come to pass. It's, it's fulfilled. What? Everything that the law and the prophets foretold. Everything that was required for you and I to be reconciled to God. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, and don't miss this last part, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Two things here. I made a, I made a distinction earlier between true righteousness, per, or you could say perfect righteousness, or thinking of it uh, and how it applies to us. You might call it positional righteousness. In other words, we're made right before God because of the righteousness of Christ. And the other thing is this, that's practical righteousness. In other words, how, how we are to live because of that, which we've talked about to a great extent as we've gone through the Beatitudes. Jesus has done what we could not do. He has perfectly fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. He has met every single demand to the finest detail in order to achieve our salvation. So we can sin, right? Because grace abounds. Christ did what we couldn't do. He kept the law. And now we're free to sin. No, and this may sound like a bit of a paradox, but he's saying exactly the opposite. He, he has done it all. He has accomplished true righteousness, perfect righteousness, bringing us into right relationship with the Father. But it's because of that, our practical righteousness how can I say it is expected to be to be high, okay? Uh, because of what Christ has done for us, because we because of what He's done in us, because He enables us. To be like Him, He says in this final verse, uh, verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, our entrance to the kingdom of heaven depends on the righteousness of Christ, which far exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, right? We are made right with God because Jesus' righteousness is put to our account. 
But everything he's been talking about here in this context, so far, up to this point, where we're at tonight, had to do with our character. Because of what he's done. We're poor in spirit. We mourn. We're meek. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're the merciful. We're pure in heart. We're peacemakers. We rejoice in persecution. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. Good works, as he says in verse 16. You do, you shine, you let your light shine by doing these good works. In other words, uh, the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do these good works. And that's how your light shines, so that God is glorified. So I think in this, in this last sentence here in verse 20, he's, he's contrasting that, the righteousness described in the Beatitudes, the righteousness he's talking about is in the metaphors of salt and light, the righteousness that he goes on to talk about in the rest of this sermon, is what he's talking about here. Your, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. That is, uh, as far as men's standards, these, these were holy men. I mean, if you just, if you just judge them by our standards, they, they were committed. The word Pharisee, it's the, it means to be separated. It's the idea of being separated. They separated themselves from the average people so they could be committed to the work of God. They were committed to keeping the law of God and committed to being pure. So by the standards of men, their righteousness was was something was impressive. But in reality it was hypocritical. And Jesus is saying the the righteousness of the kingdom heirs exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Because it's not phony. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. It's not something we've worked up. It's something God does in us. And it's not based on our own goodness because we have none. But on the righteousness of Christ. On the one hand, we cannot be good enough to earn right standing with God. Christ came to do what we cannot do. We can't do it, so He did it for us. And we're saved by grace through faith in Him. On the other hand, as far as living in this world, as far as being salt and light, as far as our own character and conduct bearing witness to our profession of faith, He's saying it must manifest. It must manifest. A true Christian, someone who is really born again, someone who is really an heir to the kingdom, lives a godly life. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus came to do what we could not do. Fulfill the law and the prophets, not freeing us to sin, but freeing us to godly living. He's enabled us to live exactly what he's, what he's describing here. And it's all because of what He's done in our behalf. Can you keep the law? Can I keep the law? No. He's done it for us. He's fulfilled everything required for our salvation. Now, it's just a matter of trusting Him, right? Believing Him. Doing what the Jews did not do. Believe Him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the gift of eternal life and, Lord, for Your provision in the work of Christ. All of grace. We don't deserve it. There's not a one of us in this room who has anything good in and of ourselves, about ourselves, that we can hold up to You and say, look, Lord, this this is acceptable. No, Father, we're, we're deserving of Your wrath. And yet, in Your mercy, You sent Your only begotten Son to bear the sin of all who believe on Him. To bring us into right relationship with You based not on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray tonight that if there's anyone in this room who does not know You in truth, Lord, may this be the very night they surrender their hearts and lives to You. Submit to You as Lord and Savior. And Lord, for all of us here, we continue to pray, may our lives be spent for Your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us, or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.